Wait, wait. Before we get started, I wanted to say a few things. My name is Darren Shelton, and I produce the Alive podcast and co-host with uh, Andy Reid and Devin Rosenai. In March 2021, we decided we wanted to do a limited deep dive podcast into the career of Daft Punk. Um, we started uh, with a plan for about 20 episodes, ranging from the pre-homework era to the post-ram and epilogue and breakup of the, of the band. Uh, and uh, we did it. We did it. Uh, all said and done, we recorded 27 um, Daft Punk-specific episodes. And those are the first 27 episodes of this podcast. In the process, we built an amazing community of listeners literally all over the world. And we are so grateful um, to every single person who has listened to us talk about the music that we love. I'm recording this intro well into 2022. And we decided that we are not done with this project yet. Uh, we want to expand the scope a little bit. You might hear us do album reviews of other monumental uh, electronic and dance albums. Um, you might hear an interview or, or a discussion uh, with uh, performers, DJs, personalities uh, in this genre of music. Um, you might hear a mini multi-episode deep dive into other pivotal groups. But at the end of the day, we want to keep talking to you about the music that we love. So we're going to do it. Starting with episode 28, we start branching out into new things. Since beginning this project, um, we've updated our website, we've updated our email address, and we've updated our social media handles. So I'm going to give those to you right now. Um, our website is just alivepodcastdetroit.com. Um, you can reach us at info at alivepodcastdetroit.com. Um, we want to hear from you, anything you want. You want to say hi, you want to fact check us, you want to tell us about the music you're making, uh, you want to suggest an album to review or a topic to discuss, we want to hear it. Um, send those emails our way. Um, and then also, we are just, uh, our handle is at alivepodcastdetroit on all of the social medias as well. So tag us in anything that you think is relevant um, to, to the show. With that, I think we are good to go. Welcome to Alive and enjoy. Hello everyone, I'm Thomas from Daft Punk. Random access memories, Daft Punk. Daft Punk and Thomas and Guy from Daft Punk. There you go, Daft Punk. We assume that's Daft Punk under those helmets. Hello everyone, I'm Guy Manuel from Daft Punk. Daft Punk mixes of Daft Punk. Daft Punk! Let's get back to the to Daft Punk. It was because of, you know, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft Punkin! Daft Punkin! Yeah! Hello and welcome to Alive 2021, a Daft Punk podcast. I'm Andy Reid and I am so excited to get to talk about my very favorite thing in the world. Those two little French robots <laughs> known as Thomas and Guimon. Daft Punk. Daft Punk. Daft, Daft Punk. Punkin. Daft Punkin, like the intro says. Who are you guys? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Darren. My name's Darren. I'm Darren Shelton. Uh, I, I uh, run a theater with you guys, and we uh, do all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah. Shout out Planet Ant. Shout out Planet Ant. Uh, Planet Ant Theater is in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, we're three best friends. Oh, we... My name is Devin Rosenite. I'm a writer and performer from Detroit, Michigan, and I do help uh, run a theater with these guys and love dance music and Daft Punk. Yeah, and we're from Detroit. We run Planet Ant Theater, and um, yeah, play, uh, Daft Punk is my very favorite thing in the world, and uh, I was so broken up when they broke up. I We know. I was there. I know. I saw. I you, saw yeah. I saw you I, be broken up. I've been grieving for weeks now, and I decided to use that energy... Uh, 
uh, for as a force of good in the world. <laughs> and we're making this podcast. Uh, I woke up the next morning and I realized how much it meant to me to be able to wake up every day and say, this might be the day that we get to find out what Daft Punk is going to do next. That that little pop of optimism was a very important part of my everyday life, and I didn't even know it until they were gone. I uh, that morning I woke up uh, to we have a group chat a group chat together. I woke up to an image of Daft Punk, and I got really excited. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I read the headline, and I was no longer excited. Yeah, I know, I know. So um, uh, I I did get to see them live once, and uh, over the last year specifically i i've uh shared a lot of my personal love of daft punk with uh, my two friends here uh, and literally the saturday before the monday they broke up we uh we watched uh their Lollapalooza concert uh that is freshly on youtube and uh that is specifically the show i got to see so i was very excited that it's in its entirety on youtube now uh, and we were talk, talking about how excited we were that at some point in the future, the three of us are going to get to see it together. Um, and that's not the case. No, it's not. <laughs> that's no, it's not never going to happen. Not the case at all. Um, so uh, because the the small bit of optimism uh, of uh, what is Daft Punk going to do next is gone from my everyday life, uh, for the next several months, I'm going to think about almost nothing but these guys as we put this show together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's great. It's, uh, I'm laughing because I know the amount of work that we've all already put into yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, it's 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 been fun. I'm a, it's been amazing. I'm a 33 year old man. <laughs> I'm married. I just recently bought a house uh, for the first time in my life. I've got I've got you know, jobs. I I've worked in different industries. I think this is might be the most the hardest I've worked on anything. Ever, ever. <laughs> As listeners of this podcast are probably fans of, of the band, so they'll get it. Uh, it just feels good to have something to think about. <laughs> I love having stuff to think about. Having something to think about is great, and I get to think about two of the Frenchest robots to ever. The yeah, Frenchest robots. Two of the Frenchest robots. I can't two name of the most robotic Frenchmen. Two have ever lived. I I can't. I can't think of two Frencher robots. I also can't think about. I can't think of any uh, robots that are more French than this. No. <laughs> Wally a little bit gave me French energy, but they didn't say that in the movie. They didn't. He, we, it was implied. It was implied. Uh, I inferred it. Yes. They implied it. Yeah, the, the, it was French subtext. Yeah. Daft Punk, we know they're French. We know that they're French uh, because uh, we know that that's where they were born. So uh, if you are joining us for the first time, which you should be because this is the first episode, uh, I uh, it's going to be part history. I've been um, the week the week they broke up. I read some books that I've had. I watched documentaries. I was re, uh, going back and finding old radio interviews they've given over the years, and it was also interesting, and fresh, and I felt like I was learning stuff about them that I had either forgotten or never knew. And I said I should do something with this energy. Uh, so I'm uh, uh, we're it's part history. We're gonna every episode is gonna be dedicated to a specific era or project in their career, uh, and, and we're gonna go through what they were seeing, what they were doing, what they were experimenting with in that time. And it's gonna be part review. We're going to re-listen to their all al uh, their old albums. We'll go track by track through everything. We'll watch their movies. 
We'll talk about their live performances. Um, we'll talk about their solo projects. Each of these uh, topics will get their own individual episode that will have a little mix of history, a little mix of review, a little mix of fun because we're three fun guys. A mix of fun. Hey, if you're uh, also if you if you're interested in following along with with us, uh, the the schedule is on the website. The schedule is on all of the social medias uh, with the release date uh, and said subject matter. So maybe you want to check out the album we're going to dig into. Uh, maybe you want to watch uh, the videos we're going to talk about. Uh, you can do all of that. Uh, I'll tell you right now. Next week's episode, homework. Homework. You guys, homework. You a little album known as homework. A little album known as homework. A little album that changed the face of dance music forever, known as homework. A little homework that they turned into an album. Yeah. So <laughs> I was saying, oh, back in my day, I hated homework, but these guys, they turned it into something I actually love. And now, when I say I hated homework, I mean the concept of it. When I talk about the album, I loved it immediately. You Maybe. heard it here first, teachers. People love homework hey, now. Hey, down with people love homework hey, now. Hey, get get guess what? Guess what, teachers? People love homework because of Daft Punk. Now. I'm an adult who loves homework. I'm an adult who loves homework. And by homework, I mean an album by my favorite band. If you haven't guessed by now, um, there will be nary a negative word spoken about these nary two. Nary a negative word. Uh, this is going to be... Um, so th- one of my favorite things about Daft Punk is how earnestly they love nerdy things. So we will go through some of the stuff they've sampled, some of the movies that they bonded over when they when they were growing up. They they have this uh their friendship is tied in some like silly um campy movies from the 70s and their musical taste was born from uh Tomas uh, Tomas and Guimond's specific taste and also Tomas's dad's career in disco. Uh, so they're they're sitting around listening to Barry Manilow and Billy Joel uh, during during an era when like grunge is becoming a thing. So there's just two teenagers diving into kind of nerdy music. And they they express a love for that nostalgia and a love for that style, the stuff that they lo- love so earnestly. There's no hint of irony. I, that's something I love about them. They they don't I, they don't ironically like kind of nerdy stuff. They celebrate it and they make it cool. They make Barry Manilow cool. Uh, and I I'm going to spend the next 15 weeks or so, however long this little project takes just earnestly loving them uh, uh, because there's nothing ironic about that for me. I, I love these guys. They um, they changed my life. They, they opened up this entire world of dance music to me. And if there's one thing that people who actually know me in person know, it's I love house music. <laughs> if you, if you walk into our theater, uh, Planet Ant Theater in Hamtramck uh, in Detroit, um, people know if I am working that show, if I'm stage managing that show, because the only music that's playing in the entire building is some of the danciest and uh, tunes and some of the uh, craziest be- beeps and boops you've ever heard. Andy and I met through performing and doing theater stuff and comedy stuff, but we became friends going to see music and going yeah. to raves. And yeah, I and where I grew up was uh, the west side of the state of Michigan. There's no such thing as raves there. Uh, it's a very like uh, culturally conservative uh, part of the world. 
uh, I was not I, – I, there was no chance for me to be exposed to this stuff growing up. My introduction to house music, the first dance music show I ever saw in person was Alive 2007. And I sat there, stood there in a field in Chicago being thoroughly blown away by what I was witnessing uh, and knowing that whatever happened – uh, the I was going to be trying to find as much of this as possible moving forward, um, and uh, they they showed me that it was that that it was fun to just go crazy. Like before that, I was a little punk who stood at shows with his hands in his pockets, trying to be cool. It show they showed me it was cool to just go nuts at shows. That that music should be fun. That it that it should be a celebration of all the best things in life. Daft Punk helped me figure out who exactly I was and, and made me a more fun loving and adventure seeking person. Uh, and I am so excited not only to relive their career with all the Daft Punk fans that might be, um, following along in this journey with us, but also hopefully introduce them to some folks that, uh, haven't given dance music a chance. I am definitely in the, the, the latter, the latter camp. Uh, yeah, I turned where, you. Whereas, uh, whereas you guys connected over yeah. dance music, yeah. I am a reluctant convert, uh, very reluctant. I've known Andy for, a, for, Andy for, for, for years, and mm-hmm. I, I really have not given uh, dance, dance music or house music a chance up until really in the last year or so. Yeah, so the last live music I saw in person, we talked about this in the intro episode, was a, a four-hour Claude Bond stroke set. We got Darren to come, so we we got Darren to come to that with us. We have slowly been getting him into it. Now, now we the three of us have gotten much. We were great friends before this. We've gotten much closer over the last year. Yeah. Early, early, early. Uh, you know, this is in the we're we're starting this in the obviously in the context of of of, of a year of of COVID. And and one of the things we decided early on were that the three of us were while hyper quarantined. Uh, we we pretty much uh, did everything in our power to keep uh, these each other only, in our pods. These are like, the only two folks yeah. I see other than my <laughs> these wife. These are the only two folks that I see uh, as well. And it's 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 uh, you know you know outside of my, my family and, and and super close loved ones. Uh, it, it's it's a decision. That that we've made, and this is something we've absolutely bonded over. And I am excited for those of you uh, who who are super fans of Daft Punk, but also those of you who maybe mm-hmm. maybe were in my shoes, uh, and you you might not have have really any context for this. Uh, and and I'm, I'm I'm here to tell you guys, this is for you too. This is for you also. Yeah. This the uh, Daft join Punk is the us. join us. Daft Punk's the ultimate onboarding for dance music. I mean, uh, Andy saw Alive 2007, and then. <laughs> somehow through a string of, of events moved to Detroit, the city of, of a thousand sweaty warehouses. Yes. Some <laughs> of the some of the danciest old abandoned industrial yeah, airplane hangers and shit in the thank world. Thank you. I should say thank you, Daft Punk, for opening the world of the darkest, loudest rooms I've ever been in to me. <laughs> uh, um, I, I never would. I never, ever in my life would have ever thought that I would be uh, fi- trying to find um, empty warehouses where DJs were pumping some of the most psychotic dance rhythms uh, into a, a, a completely dark room um, before before I found dance music. But here we are. I, that, I, that's one of my favorite things to do. And maybe this podcast will make you want to move to Detroit yeah. and come go to some... Sweaty warehouses. Yeah, so you guys ready to get into it? Let's I'm ready to get. Well, I'm 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 more than ready. All right. I I'm, I'm excited. Uh, let's go. All right. 
it's really a misconception that an artist can regain control of this if this control has somehow been compromised along the way. This quote from Tomas Bengalter opens the 2015 BBC documentary Daft Punk Unchained. Even when he and his musical life partner, Guy Manuel de Homam Cristo, were camera shy, 20-year-old music nerds recording dirty and raw dance music tracks in their childhood bedroom, even before they ever put on robot helmets to conceal their identity and let the music speak for itself, these two knew that they wanted to do it their own way. This quote, in many ways, is the, the, the thesis of da, da, uh, Daft Punk's career. Bangalter and De Omam Cristo have uh, had a vision, a clear vision for themselves since the earliest days of Daft Punk, and have quietly but persistently refused to stray from their own path. Tomas Aguiman dove into the world of French House, a world of darkened warehouse raves, anonymous musicians, and an ever-rotating blast of catchy and disposable hooky sampled beats, and created one of the most lasting and important marks on music since the Beatles. I'll say that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, on, I'm actually Absolutely. on board with that. I, I'm on board. I wouldn't, there, <laughs> again, I'm amazed. Say that makes me realize this is some of my favorite music recorded in a child's bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Name me one better album recorded in a child's bedroom than Homework. <laughs> name it. Oh, yeah, I'll right. name you one better right now. Discovery. Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, folks. I, you, I have no idea. I, I cannot tell you how many people I have told that Daft Punk is the, the Beatles of electronic music. And they tell me to shut up. <laughs> People don't want to hear it. No, they don't. But you're gonna. You're, you're gonna you're hear gonna. it. Uh, Daft Punk is the Beatles of electronic music. And like it or not, this shit's here to stay now. There, yeah. There's no getting rid of it. So no. you might as well get used to it. Electricity's now. not going anywhere. Uh, I know that people thought it was a fad when they wanted to like keep pushing shit around with horses or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but electricity. Can you imagine if electricity hadn't happened and Daft Punk had to make music with horses instead? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, and that horse uh, instead of house music, it's horse music. music. <laughs> what would that sound? Uh, it might sound a little something. To horse work, <laughs> horse work. I'm on board. Horse work. It's like this work. in their childhood stable. <laughs> Walking that horse to my feet hurt. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, hell yeah! Random access mammals. <laughs> <laughs> Random access mammaries. Uh, they are two of the most influential innovators in the history of pop cu- culture, whose sound and production techniques have been aped for more than twenty years, and yet they can still enjoy the anonymity of everyday life. They traffic in a genre that thrives live, yet they've only done uh, two world tours, and they've played live just twice in the last 14 years as a group, both short performances at the Grammys. They arose from a culture of music made in a way to be left behind at the warehouse party or in a muddy field, yet have become legends with just a handful of studio albums. They're constantly in demand, both from an adoring fan base and from artists who want to collaborate with them, yet their communication is sparse and cryptic, and their work is few and far between. They are fucking Daft Punk. They do what they want, and that's all that they need. Amen, brother. That was my. That's my lead to this whole deal, and I got excited when I finished that. Yeah, that's a, uh, <laughs> that was uh, fire, and it fired me <laughs> up. Yeah, I'm fired up now. <laughs> that is the fuse uh, that will fuel. Uh, in the next 15 weeks. Yeah, I really want I, I'm I, I, just, I want folks to, to remember that quote specifically as we go through this. It's, a re- it's really a misconception that an artist can regain control if this control has been somehow compromised along the way. I think that really is important to what 
uh, what they are, what they become, and what they tried to be from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Tomas Bangalter was born on January 3rd, 1975 in Paris. His father, Daniel Bangalter, uh, known by his stage name Daniel Vanguard, was an influential disco writer and producer whose best known work is with groups like Sheila B. Devotion and Ottawan. Uh, I'd like to show you a few clips. Uh, so what you're about to hear is a song called Ai Moana, writ uh, written by Vanguard, performed here by a group called Black Blood, and D-I-S-C-O by the group, uh, the French group Ottawa. I don't know much about his dad, but I like him. I like him, and he he that is, is four on the floor. Yeah, that is that is my kind of disco. disco I love this song too. How can you not be groovy growing up around that? Man? That is the bass sound. So that's, that's the bass sound you're going to hear on Voyager on right. Discovery. It is incredible. Yeah. So there, there's a uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more even next week um, about. Vanguard's uh, influence on the boys, um, uh, but it's clear there that that Tomas was growing up in, in uh, surrounded by disco music, um, and that that just rocks. If if you're interested, uh, Dazed and Confused magazine put out a an hour long mix of all Daniel Vanguard music uh, in 2013. If you if you search on SoundCloud, Daniel Vanguard, Days of Confused, you'll find it. And it's just a solid hour of um, incredible dance music produced uh, and written by Tomas's dad. And it rocks. Um, during the Nazi occupation of France in the World War II, many Jewish musicians, artists, and composers were stripped of the rights to their work. Uh, Le Parisien magazine uncovered a document from 1941 in which uh, that mandated that artists would have to show that they weren't of Jewish descent in order to be paid. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so in the 90s, Vanguard, who is Jewish, uh, fought to make sure the descendants of these artists recovered the rights to their family's members' work so that they could receive financial compensation. That so that rules. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's um, uh, Tomas grew up unreligious. Uh, but I think it's really cool that his dad was fighting for these people's uh, right back to their work. Yeah. I mean, it seems, <clears throat> again, I, I said it a little bit over the track. I mean, uh, to be surrounded by some, some groovy beats and somebody who uh, seems to be fighting for good and right, uh, I, 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 I can see how that might have a little bit of a profound <laughs> impact yeah. on a person. And, and uh, uh, like I said, I don't know a ton about Vanguard, but he clearly has very wide world influences. Aimwana, I don't, I don't know what language they're they're singing in that song. He, but there, he has a ton of tracks in English. He has t tracks in French. He has tracks in other, other languages around the world. Um, so this dude, this dude rocks. Uh, Vanguard has retired to Brazil, where, according to a story from the Rolling uh, Rolling Stone magazine, he lives in a village so remote that they just recently got electricity. So, <laughs> yeah. So the this irony: dude, uh, the the father of one of the Frenchest robots in the world just got electricity. Just got electricity not that long ago. Um, I think again that means they're like still four hundred years away from inventing Daft Punk in that. <laughs> yeah, I know. They right? got a future to look forward. Yeah, because there's roughly four hundred years between Thomas uh, Edison. <laughs> not, well, okay, there, Thomas Edison did not invent electricity. No, I'm sorry. 
Between Ben Franklin with the kite, yeah. what was that, 300 and whatever? Yeah, years it was ago. like 400 or 500 years ago, something like that. We know history. The only history I know is the history of Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> Which we, you did say you wanted to start with the beginning of electricity. Yeah, we had to talk we him agreed. up. We had to yeah. talk him up. I was like, there. we should start. We should. This project should be about like <laughs> sixty or seventy episodes, starting with the history uh, of the invention of electricity. Andy approached us. When do you guys think the first lightning hit? Yeah. When was <laughs> when was lightning invented? Was what I asked Darren. I, I mean, because uh, that's really important to Daft Punk. When was lightning invented? Aside from the direction of what we're doing with the podcast, the more I become interested in dance music and producing dance music and and using these pieces of equipment, I am just in awe of how much you have to understand just like electrical engineering to use some of the synthesizers oh, yeah. they're going to use. You know, pre-homework, homework. homework. These things are are so complicated and so scientific. You know, it can be more scientific than it is creative. It's baffling that they produce some of the things they do with this equipment. It's it's very it's very interesting to me. You know, somebody who is uh, you know we're a we're around a fair amount of live music uh, by by just just by association with the the theater. Um, But but it's. It's crazy for me to, to see the realization that the this the the, the digital the digital synths and everything that, that that people are you know the high end the high tech equipment that people are using today is just built off of things that people broke yeah. machines to make the noises that then uh, turned into what now uh, you know a, a Roland synthesizer is modeled off of or whatever Absolutely. the hell uh, and it's 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 astounding to see that level of 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 dedication to to creating something new and it's impossible and whether you like the music or not it is impossible not to be impressed by just that fact yeah. of all of it i want uh yeah any anybody that uh Said like talk shit about dance music and is like they're just pushing buttons. I I I talk to them about Tomas yeah. and stuff he does. I I've saved most of so Tomas is the tech wizard of the group. Uh, I've saved all of that for our alive 1997 episode. We're gonna get more into in that specific episode. Um, kind of the tech stuff they use, what they were working, the the equipment they were working with at the time, and and the two's kind of role. Um, in that episode. So stay tuned in a couple weeks for oh, that. Yeah. Um, I think, I do think it's interesting that Tomas's dad is somebody who wanted to retire to a completely remote village in Brazil, specifically given the fact of how important privacy is to these two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, it was clearly been something that was, in, uh, important to them from the very beginning. Yeah. Tomas says when he was a kid, uh, he never thought he would follow in his father's footsteps. When he was six years old, his parents made him start taking piano lessons. He was not very happy about it. He wanted to quit, but he is glad. Uh, now, obviously, he's glad that his parents made him keep going. I started to play the piano. My, my parents forced me to play the piano when I was uh, six years old. And I, I was very unhappy about that, but now I'm very grateful to them for forcing me to do so. And um, I think... Um, between 12 and 13, um, I met Ricky Manuel, and uh, we hadn't really made, started to make original tracks ourselves. So we started to make tracks together more like um, probably when we were 16 or 17, doing rock stuff with the with guitar. Pretty normal. Pretty normal. Pretty normal. Couple, couple of friends getting together. 
and wanted to make music as as teenagers. That's about the age that that happens, right? 12, 13. Yeah. That's, that was the first time it's like, I'm doing guitar lessons. I want to right. be in a band so bad. And I think at that, at that, I mean, I think at that age, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's the age that I, I started playing guitar as well. And I think it's one of those ages where you're looking for independence and, and you often find a partner in that with similar interests and that, you know, that's your childhood best friend or whatever. Um, and and uh, it's, it's cool to, to hear a clip like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Guillaume Emmanuel de Homem Cristo was born February 8, 1974 in the Paris suburb of Neree de Saint. I don't know. You don't de know how to say Saint, it? Saint is the river, right? I, I have no idea. Neree sur Saint. So it's so, south of the Saint River. Okay. I don't know. I that's, believe you. That's no, as much I'm, French I'm, as I know. I got you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, I didn't look it up. It's yeah. Although the fellas are both intensely private, as we uh, just discussed, Gimon is by far the more secretive of, of the two. For example, we know that he's married with two kids, but even his wife's name is not publicly known. Wow. <laughs> even he doesn't know. Even, even he doesn't know. <laughs> he's so secretive. Even he, he doesn't, doesn't know. know. I was gonna think, like, he doesn't know his, his he's, wife or his kids. He's, a, or he's a caring father. He's an adoring father. He does not. He, does he doesn't want to know their names. His kids have never seen him with the helmet on. <laughs> his kids have never seen him with the fur. He's a he's a lovely father. He's an adoring father. He's never his kids have never seen him with the helmet on. <laughs> no, uh, um, he is he's so secretive of his private life. Uh, we we don't know his wife's name. Uh, we, uh, yeah, so uh, good for him. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that is one that, of the most impressive was, facts I'm learning well, so far. We will get into we will get into uh, like the helmets and everything, obviously, but one like and the reasons behind it. One of them was because they wanted regular lives, uh, and they have that. Like, yeah. there's so many stories about them taking the subway uh, to their Rolling Stone interview or or standing in a field at Coachella and watching the the trailer for the Random Access Memories release and watching everybody out, out, around them freaking out about a, a minute-long clip of them playing Get Lucky, something that people had seen for the first time there, losing their minds, and them just standing there and be like, this is cool. Yeah. Like, that, like, they are two of the biggest stars in the world uh, uh, and they just they get to go to Starbucks and shit. Yeah, that's great. Good that rocks. Uh, uh, we do know a few things about Guimon though. Guimon's uh, great Guimon's great grandfather was Francisco Manuel Homam Cristofilo, who is considered by historians to be the first Portuguese fascist. Oh wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, he is a. This is a deep dive. Yeah. You're going deep here. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was a prominent writer and thinker of the time, and he was a personal friend of Benito Mussolini. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, um, uh, there are there's a Omam Cristo Street and a Omam Cristo School in Portugal still to this day. Uh, he uh, he obviously never met his great grandfather. Uh, Guimond's not a fascist, <laughs> uh, uh, and he, you know, um, he's he. The only thing he's ever said about it was that uh, the only I only know him through f photos, like from a family book. So it's obviously something he doesn't want to talk about. It's a sensitive thing, uh, and it's weird. And you know, but he does come from like this, um, like a prominent lineage, uh, uh, like of this. Uh, of that wing and and his family uh separated themselves from from that part of themselves and and he um 
and became so you know it would be wild to learn about strange parts of your family through like history books that's a that's a very weird thing where it's like i don't know these are just like recorded facts in the history of the world that i have no relationship to it yeah um he uh he too like tomas played music from an early age I had my first keyboard uh, and, uh, and a small guitar when I was a kid at Christmas, when I was like six or seven. But the, the, the real instrument uh, I had was when I was 14, I was uh, offered a, a guitar, electric guitar. Way before starting Daft Punk, so uh, we met when we were 12 years old and uh, we were really good friends and uh, we were just... Uh, hanging out together and uh, going to see some movies and going to some concert. Cool. That's them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Guimond's parents ran an advertising agency together and both he and Tomas grew up very comfortably. Uh, Phoenix guitar player, Laurent Brankowitz, uh, who was in the band Darlin with the boys. Uh, we'll get to that oh, in yeah. a second. Remembers, uh, that Tomas bought a new record every day when they were teenagers. He told Rolling Stone magazine, that meant a lot when we were, were kids. That meant you had to be rich. <laughs> so Tomas and Guimán attended the prestigious Lycee Cornot School, uh, where like uh, a bunch of uh, really prominent French people went. Um, place is incredible. Yeah. Have you ever seen pictures of that? It, look, cool? it looks like Hogwarts or some they shit. They do. It's like in the, I think, 17th arrondissement. And it's like, they do like uh, Paris Fashion Week there and stuff. Yeah. It's incredible. It's like this huge courtyard in the middle with classrooms uh, on the lower level and upper level all around it. It's a it's a really, really cool school. Yeah. So they, they grew up very well off. Um, and they met on an eighth grade field trip to Pompeii. That's how they met. Pompeii. That rocks. That rocks. That, that does rock. Pompeii is what? Is that, is that Italy? It, That's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. I'm fairly I'm fairly. I know confident. that there's a volcano nearby. I'm fairly confident that that's, that's Italy, but it's... Yeah, it's Italy. Okay, cool. Near, uh, Naples. There you go. Yeah. Look at that. You learned, you learned something else new not about death. Uh, yeah, there, there we go. You learned where Pompeii generally was. Somewhere <laughs> near Naples. If you guys know more about world history and geography than us, uh, dear listeners, there's a chance, we apologize. Folks, there's a chance that you're listening from another country, and I can almost guarantee you know more about world geography than these we three went, Americans we do. Went, <laughs> we went to, uh, between us, an incredible amount of public school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> public, American public school, folks. The I, idea, went, I went to some very underprivileged schools. Yeah, the idea that we would know anything about world geography is uh, laughable. Let's be honest. At best. At best. On the ride back to Paris, the two bonded by writing music together. Italo Disco by 12-year-old, says Guimond, who says his father still has a video of Tomas singing this song while Guimond giggles in the background. And I would pay any amount of money. Any. To have that tape. Wait a second. He's got a tape but no electricity? What? No. Guimond's dad. Okay, I was backwards. Guimond's dad. Phew. Yeah. uh, uh, You were backwards. (laughs) I was backwards. Yeah. Oh, man. I I don't know where Guimond's father has retired to. (laughs) I don't have that information. Um, The two became best friends watching movies like The Phantom of the Paradise starring Paul Williams, who eventually would uh, worked with the boys uh, singing on 
touch for we random access memories. We are calling them the boys now because this is pre. Eventually, the they boys. will be the bots. Yeah, they will be the bots eventually. Right now, right they're, now they're just the boys. boys. Yeah. Soon, soon enough. That why you better believe it'll turn into a T. That's the boy. That's the boys <laughs> to bots pop pipeline. Yeah. Boys to bots. Boys to bots. That's my that's my favorite band. Boys to bots. Boys to bots. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so me- honestly, so many boys have turned to men. It was about time that it- some boys turned to bots. Yeah, <laughs> this is a reverse bicentennial man situation. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a reverse Pinocchio too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they turned from human to not human. Yeah, they reverse po- Pinocchio. Not in the history of humanity. No, that's never happened before. No, they're the Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul, Will- they worked with Paul Williams on Random X's memories. Uh, the movie that movie specifically is also cited as their inspiration for the robot helmets that they will eventually uh, adapt. Uh, they also loved horror movies and sifting through records in the Bangalter's Ritzy Percy and apartment. It's just two French dweebs watching bad VHS tapes and listening to Barry Manilow and oh, old disco and funk records from the 1970s. Better than that. What is better than that? That's where I want to be. Hey man, that like uh, our our hobby together is uh, is to hang is to have sleepovers and, and watch terrible movies like VHS movies. That's VHS. Important. That's I, important. I, I want you to know that in my little hangout, I call it the vibe. Den, oh, we, have, yeah, we, we we got a video on the vibe then on the Instagram. You can yeah, check you out can, our, our favorite place to watch VHSs and listen to Daft Punk. Yeah, I have just a, a just a comfy little place with a bunch of soft stuff and cool lights and shit. You better believe I've got a, a warbly old VHS player in there that we can uh, we can pretend to be Daft Punk as twelve year olds. Yeah, <laughs> I can pretend to be a twelve year old French boy. Yeah. Uh, as advanced as their sound eventually became, everything is grounded in the st- nostalgia of this time. They uh, revel in decidedly uncool music, warping it and cutting it uh, to make things that are revolutionary. They love trash, just like us. Just like us. Absolutely. And us in uh, the college where we were, we in the school where we were, we, we wanted to maybe, uh, as many people do a band, kids do a band, we wanted to do something different than just uh, listening to the charts or even at the time MTV was new, but that was the only way to look at stuff. So we, we tried to, to dig into music, to dig into movies and maybe to, to yeah, to, to not to be different, but to, to be more active, you know, and to find some, when you find a good movie like Phantom of Paradise when you're 12 and your, your friends are alone, watching just uh, Back to the Future, you know, you feel uh, like you you found something uh, really interesting or treasure. And when you see that you can, even before internet, dig a little bit more into music and movies and everything, you keep on doing it. And uh, and so you get, I think we we got our uh, education, like artistic education in a way, uh, together. And so we, now we are really on the same wavelength and even at the time too because we discovered everything together uh i love that quote uh that's that is maybe the most verbose i've ever heard Guiman answer a question he is he is absolutely the more um uh soft-spoken of the two and i think it's important that that he opens up in that way about specifically their their creative uh, influences at this point in their life because I think that every everything that Daft Punk goes on to create is born right here with the music that they're listening to right here and the movies they're watching right here it is all 
it, it, everything cool that they create comes from these like weird kind of nerdy, not cool things that they're consuming at this point. There's nothing cool about Barry Manilow. <laughs> no, <clears throat> there's just not. There's, I think that's a really insightful in quote about what's going to happen with Daft Punk. But I also think that's an incredible look into just the nature of friendship. Cause that's an incredible and very powerful feeling of like me and my friend, me and my friends are interested in this very weird thing. And it's just our yeah. weird thing that we pay attention yeah. to. That's, you know, and I think it's a that, very good feeling. Yeah. You know, I, honestly, when, when other friends might be watching like a Marvel movie, me and my bo- boys, we're watching a, Dennis the Menace strikes again. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, like, you know, that's... Um, We're watching a movie called Bike Squad that could only be found from the dollar bin at Family Video. I think it's um, it's important, too, at that age specifically. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's... it's uh, We we are lucky. We are lucky that two, two weirdos found each other because yeah. I think that if you, you know, you meet that friend that you do stuff with and... and um, you kind of uh, you gravitate towards what the other enables you to gravitate yeah. towards, and and yeah. I think that we are lucky that these two found each other rather than someone else who pulled them in a different direction or pulled them yeah. away from the disco grooves are, or pulled them away from these weird old films and stuff. They um, are they are will for even even though they are shy and and they're private and they do not want to be famous. They are obsessed with the spectacle. And yes. I think that is all tied with what they're consuming at this point in their lives. They're consumed with shit like the Phantom of the Paradise. They're consumed with these big, huge studio albums and the grand, the grandosity, grandiosity of disco and, and shit like that. And they chase recreating that for the rest of their career. It is. It's interesting because I, I think... For a long time, techno and house music was a very untheatrical thing, and they they bring a level of like fun and camp and theatrics to it that belongs there. Absolutely. Here's a fun question for you. I don't know if you have any any anything. So so did you know? You mentioned the spectacle. Do you know if they have any influence from like a, a philosophist like Guy, uh, Guy Debord? Uh, Guy Debord is the guy who wrote uh, Society of the Spectacle, which is like a, a philosophy Ooh. book. He's a French, he's a French philosopher, a philosopher, and I just made this connection as you said this. Sure. Um, but the Society of the Spectacle is um, is basically a philosophy that people uh, essentially just flock to what is being flocked to, you know, what is loudest, what is biggest. Uh, and, and that is an interesting thing that I would like to revisit at some point to see if there uh, is any element of that. I uh, will look that up. I, I am unfamiliar with that. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll look up him in relation to Daft Punk, but like there are, um, I, I would, I would at this point, like, I don't know this guy, but that, that sounds like something that they would gravitate towards. Uh, there are, um, there are these cool, these amazing billboards from the 70s and 80s uh, specifically advertising music. Uh, and they they got obsessed with these these billboards uh, uh, in the late to the late uh, aughts where um, just like a kiss billboard from the 70s where it would just be like the new kiss record out yeah. in two months. Uh, they they thought that that was so cool, and we'll talk about it in yeah. a couple uh, for the Ram um, episode. But when the music industry 
was becoming more and more interested in uh, secretive releases or just putting out singles and, and forgetting about albums and, and downplaying the importance of albums, they marketed Ram like a 70s uh, blockbuster. Yeah, they were. There's billboards around town, and there, there's like these posters popping up, and there's there. It was. It, it, they marketed it like an important release. That's interesting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they formed Darlin, a shoegaze fuzz rock band, when they were 17. Uh, Laurent uh, Brankowitz, now a Phoenix fame, joined the band uh, by answering a wanted poster. So they didn't know each other before the the band, uh, which I always thought that they were buddies. Um, they played gigs around Paris with Guimon donning a ratty fur coat, drawing a star under his eye and covering his hands in glitter. I fucking love to see that. <laughs> I would love to see that they were too. Annoying men that way too. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I know. Uh, I haven't figured out what their brand of annoying is. Yeah, yeah. but also that, like, I love it. that is absolutely drawing attention to yourself. Which oh yeah, they will. Uh, not very, not that, uh, not that. Uh, Far away from now, it's, they will decide. They will make a decision. I mean, it's it's kind not of like attention to themselves. It's it's kind of like the uh, this the slash mentality or whatever, where the disguise is being so loud. That's right. kind of what I see when you talk about them in their early days. Um, that you can, you know, if you've got glitter and stars and a fur coat, people don't really see you before yeah. they see that. And I think that uh, in a way that 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 being extra loud. Uh, it seems to, as we continue to talk about this, it seems to be that that's what all of it is. Bring yeah, attention to even, the big, grandiose idea rather than the individuals behind it. Again, um, even Tomas's dad, Daniel Vanguard, is not known, but the music he did is yeah. because he was writing shit for bands that, you know, mm -hmm. were global bands. Um, so, uh, yeah, from a very early age, it seems like these guys were interested in and finding a way to to provide something on a global scale while while minimizing their actual personal role in it um interesting uh, a record store clerk named uh danielle Ducher. i don't know I, I i'm not like guys anytime french stuff comes up it's just gonna be awful it's okay uh he knew the boys from around this time because they would uh, scour his store for obscure disco records he said that some people around the Paris music scene uh, around this time thought that they were pretentious because they wanted to be stars. Uh, even before graduating high school, the boys knew, uh, quote unquote, exactly what they wanted. Um, they just didn't have they had not yet found the sound that would define them. Uh, in 1992, they somehow managed to get the, a two-song tape recorded in Tomas's bedroom with a drum machine, drum machine and guitars, into the hands of hip indie band. Stereo Lab. Who you guys? Do you guys know Stereo? I love yeah. Stereo yeah. Lab. Stereo Lab is like you know. I've seen Stereo Lab a yeah. couple times. Uh, um, underground smash uh, cult band. People, yeah, people love Stereo Lab. So the Stereo Lab hears two Darlin songs, and they put those two songs into a compilation album called Shimmies and Super Eight, uh, which was uh, it had a couple Stereo Lab songs, and then it also featured up up and coming bands uh, like Huggy Bear and Darlin tracks. Um, the two Darlin tracks were an original called Cindy So Loud and then a fuzzy cover of um, the Beach Boys song Darlin, which is where obviously they got their name. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of these guys. Cindy So Loud, Cindy So Loud, Cindy So Loud, Cindy So Loud. 
think we get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get it. I've booked this band before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. As, as folks that run a music venue, we've, we've all heard... This this is darling. I've right been here. in this kind of. I'm very attracted to this sound. Yeah, I mean, you hear the droning low end. Yeah, yeah. which rocks. Yeah, I mean, it does rock, and and it is. I mean, I, it, it the a word is thrashy. Thrashy is the word I hear here, and I, I yeah. get it. You know, it's not. It's not great, other than being an artifact of history for this group we love. But they they understand. This, this is point. the kind of band. That if done as a spectacle, rocks. Like yeah. they're just yeah. simple power chords, just driving. Um, and 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 I can I can see why maybe you would you would you would get the glitter hands and the fur coat yeah. going here because this is the kind of band that I'm not gonna listen to uh, in my free time, but I will probably love seeing if it's a show. Yeah, well, yeah. I think shoegaze was a, a very important yeah. genre of music I to think me for a long time too. Every yeah, I think every like. Uh, kid that wants to get into like hit, like indie music goes through a shoegaze phase. Yeah. You have to there like there's something that is wired in your brain if you're gonna be like a music guy that you're like I need I need to hear I love fuzzy guitars. Yeah, I mean um, there's an element of needing to. I think there's an element of needing to strip back to get into that like indie mentality and then to start add things like simple distortion or allow the springiness of, of like, you know, reverby bigger, bigger rooms or whatever um, that that I think it is part of you know, post deconstruct the very beginning of building a new musical identity or whatever. Sounds like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it like, does for a lot of people. Know, yeah. Know, for- uh, the construction of it, like, is good. Yeah, know? for a group that would become one of the most polished right. sounds in pop and dance music, they you hear a lot of this fuzz and distortion yeah. mm-hmm. in in the early stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about it more on this episode, and especially oh, yeah. in homework. But there is there's a direct lineage between this like distorted guitar and some of the sounds we're going to hear later. Yeah. So looking back years later, Tomas said the rock and roll thing we did was pretty average. Uh, I think <laughs> uh, it was so brief, maybe six months, four songs and two gigs. And that was it. A music reviewer named Dave Jennings of a melody maker magazine called Cindy. So long or Cindy. So loud daft punky thrash <laughs> and the group and the group darling disbanded shortly thereafter. Daft it's wild punky got, thrash. It's wild. They got written up by but melody it, maker. But it was at a, this time. It was released by stereo lab. Like it's right. going to get, it's going to get covered by, you know, wait, that's, wait, that's crazy lab to me. Best records that, aren't going to come out for seven more years. Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's that, that's yeah. like it, it's, it's two, really two 16 year old, the high school kids were like, got, got published by stereo lab. Do you it think makes, that, uh, that, that writer has on his business card? Oh, I he's got oh, yeah, He tells rocks. everybody that story when he gets a few drinks. And in. you he's know what? Gotta. He is correct in this instance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's very cool. So, uh, there's a, there's a couple more, um, darling tracks. Uh, this is called untitled number 33 and it's more, it's in the same, it's in the same vein. That's guitar, baby. There it is. <laughs> we've heard, we've heard this, we've heard this we've band heard, too. We've heard this band over and over again. This this band opened for Craig Brown in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that this is more of the same. It makes me feel like I, I I don't fundamentally understand the size and scope of what the local music scene in Paris looks like. You know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, this one has this one has some singing in it. Wow, I think I think Guimon was the singer. I don't know. 
Um, we'll talk about that too. Uh, when when they start adding vocoder lyric, uh, song like um, singing into Daft Punk stuff, they never say which one is which. Yeah, both of them do it, uh, and it's very hard to tell which one is which. Yeah, I um, man, I, I'm amazed with how stripped down that feels, and uh, stripped down and messy at the same time. Yeah, and it's it's it uh, again. I'm enjoying hearing these clips. This one, boys. This one. Yes. This one got me very excited uh, when I heard it uh, uh, this week, putting this uh, episode together. Uh, this is called Untitled Number 18. The last one was called Untitled Number 33. This is Untitled Number 18. So it's the sequel. And this is the this is the sequel. <laughs> this is the first groovy shit that the the boys from Daft Punk ever recorded together. This okay. is darling, boys. This is some shaft ass stuff. Yeah, this yeah. really is. Yeah. Wait till it breaks. Like this is uh this rocks. I I am a fan of this song. Yeah. Yeah. What are they sampling there? There's something. I don't know, there. yeah. It's groovy as hell. It's you hear all four on the floor there. Yeah, those those are some of the forest on the floor. That those you've are ever some heard. of the kickest drums I've yeah. ever so, heard. <laughs> it seems like uh, three of the four tracks we're hearing right now. Uh, what is significantly missing is a groove, and I, I would say without a doubt the best one, the, the 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 feature that makes it good, the sample, the groove. This will be. This is going to be put into my. Uh, my phone like I'm gonna listen to this. yeah no this is this is a good song so uh this this one um uh what year what year is this like 92 yeah so so when I heard this song I wrote down the year I was born uh, when I heard this song I wrote this in the script this seminal dance album scream Adelica by primal scream had been released the year before and you can obviously hear uh that the influence in this song the boys had yet to discover the french acid house scene that would launch them into international fame but already that sound was seeping into their work after that i found this passage in dina santorelli's great biography a daft punk a trip inside the pyramid uh if you if you're a Daft Punk fan, you should find this on Am, uh, uh, not Amazon. You should find this in your local bookstore. Don't don't find it on Amazon. Hell yeah! Uh, find find a Daft Punk a trip inside the pyramid at your local bookstore because that book I love this book. Uh, she writes around this time. Uh, uh, they uh, two releases in particular got Bang Alter and the Omam Christo's attention. Primal Screams groundbreaking album Screamadelica which mix rock and roll classicism with the looser elements of dance and soon the closing track to my bloody Valentine's 1991 album loveless, God, which featured a, a dance record. oriented beat uh, behind guitarist Kevin Shields glide guitar. So just for fun, I would, I would love to hear a snippet from the song. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Feel it off scream Adelica. So we can hear some of the boys inspiration from around this oh, time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Folks, uh, this is actually one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, uh, they don't. Uh, Primal Scream doesn't get enough credit for uh, like the grungy dance pop shit right. from the early '90s. Because like specifically, there's there's a bunch of Primal Scream that you can just dispose of. Scream Adelica, front to back, is is a great album, and Don't Fight It Feeling is one of the best tracks ever. That was a big track. Big track. Big old tracks. Uh, so Brankowitz uh, went on to form Phoenix. 
Phoenix, yeah, good band. I don't Phoenix. know if you guys have heard of Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I I enjoyed seeing. Uh, I saw Phoenix once at Bonnaroo. We'll uh, we'll get into great. it. I specifically will get it's into it fun. on the rumors episode. Yeah, but in 2015, I I I saw Phoenix at Lollapalooza. Yeah. Uh, because everyone at Lollapalooza that year was talking about how Daft Punk was going to be a part of the encore, they weren't. <laughs> so, uh, Sofia Coppola uh, is married to the singer of Phoenix. Uh, so she had put his uh, songs in Lost in Translation. So I bought the soundtrack to Lost in Translation the year it came out because I heard uh, uh, one of the Phoenix tunes on that, and that was the first time I heard of them. And I. Did not know their history with Daft Punk. I yeah. just, you know, found out about them independently, and just I love that band. Yeah, yeah. Back, yeah. their career is phenomenal. Yeah, got a lot of great stuff. Uh, so the boys, uh, amused by the sour review of their first musical effort, kept the insult to their music in the back of their minds. Uh, Giman said, "We struggled for so long to find the name Darlin." And this just happened so quickly. Yeah. So they they just saw that. And they like, struggled for so long to take a a, a Beach, a Beach Boys, Boys song. song. Yeah, 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 that's I know, a funny. I know. That's a funny quote right I know. there. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> what are we gonna do other than steal this Beach Boys song title? There's man? a whole genre of bands who steal their names from Misfit songs. Yeah. And then there's a whole different genre of bands who steal their names from Beach Boys songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's like a rite of passage. Here's another quote. For, uh, another clip of Tomas talking about Darlin. The, the, the way we, we got into music uh, is pretty much the very common way like uh, many uh, teenagers when they want to uh, start a band and, and, and in, in, in a very very common yet uh, 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 with a feeling of contestation of, of, of the previous generation and wanting to do something different but but um uh, it it was really something at the time um, we were six seventeen uh, and uh, and we just wanted to to have a rock band like like in any uh, any any anybody and uh, <coughs> so that's how Darlin came about and um, and the, the the band itself didn't didn't last long so so the, the single was released and by the time it was released it got bad reviews and and at the same time we, i think we were we were already uh, 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 discovering uh, electronic music and house music and 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 finding a a, a different energy that 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 we would um, decide to to embrace um a few months later so they're very hard on themselves about this part of their career but I've heard seventeen-year-olds try to make music. Yeah, <laughs> like, honestly, uh, this yeah. is this like they're what they did in those four songs is so beyond what what their level of expertise or yeah. or professionalism should have been at that point in their lives. What I hear is is two two very soft-spoken people. Yeah. Uh, reminiscing on an era that is acceptable to just about anybody's standards uh, yeah. of creation uh, and viewing it with, I think, probably what will become what makes them perfection. Well, something so, something interesting about them is like there are so many people, There's specifically now, 20, 30 years later, so many artists that get internationally famous by the time that they're 19. Um. They they got to learn a couple things before, you know. They like it didn't take them a ton a, a long time to like 
grasp onto something that that hit but they they got to learn their their influences like if if darlin would have hit let's say those two songs uh hit and and they were locked into that then they're locked into that yeah we they, don't get daft punk they, that happens. We, don't, we don't get daft punk so they they learned something they made some interesting music they learned something and then they locked into something that they were really passionate yeah. about i, I mean I four songs a, oh. i was gonna say i have a theory about that like if you're if your first band goes, the best music you're going to produce is going to be the first couple records. And then nothing. if it's not your if if it's your second or third band that goes, you are going to produce good music for a long time. Because I know a lot of people who yeah their first band goes and that is it. Because because you get I, if you stop if, growing if I if I only got to write and do comedy about the stuff I was interested in when I was sixteen yeah. seventeen. I don't think I would be doing stuff anymore. I know, you know a lot of people who dropped out of high school because the band went, right. you know, and because of that, you stop growing, you know, in some ways musically, but also personally. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's a good thing that Darling didn't go. Cut to November 10th, 1992. <laughs> November 10th, 1992. The boys... They attend their first rave, and they it's attend. on a rooftop in Björborg. Again, again guys, I'm so <laughs> sorry about the French stuff. <laughs> Björborg. This is probably close. Björborg. Yeah. Can't be that far off. They can't be. You got all the letters there. So uh, a friend of uh, Guimans was with them, and he says that this is the first song that the boys heard as they rolled up to their first rave. This is Fortunes. Can you feel the pain? Oh, yeah. I know this one. Yeah. Yeah, they were hooked. Yeah, they were. I, I would be. I mean, Ooh, yeah. yeah this is a, sound, man. this is a, some good sounds right here that I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is uh, you know the typical acid house uh, house music French stuff shit that that they were hearing around that time. Uh, and they immediately started hanging around the Paris rave scene. Um, they're listening to music. They're gathering ideas uh, around this time. Tomas spent three weeks in Manhattan, uh, and he took in the club scene there. Uh, he says about three weeks. What year? In ninety two. Yeah. So this is like Michael Alec club yeah, kid this shit. Is the this era is, of club kids. If, kid if stuff. I could, if I could go back in to any point in history, specifically to party, I would go to ninety one, ninety two era new york city and go to the limelight and club usa when the club kids were like absolutely going haywire before shit got dark you know <laughs> before that before that scene turned and when it was just if fun time travel you would time travel to a time where you would most certainly die at a party <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh if absolutely, you're absolutely uh, if you're into to club culture and dance music, I highly recommend reading and learning about dan- the dance culture around New York City in the early 90s. Uh, Frank Owen's book Clubland is one of the best things I've ever re- read. Uh, uh, I think her name's Lisa Sweetingham wrote a book called Chemical Cowboys about uh, this era. Uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head. So, <laughs> so yeah. uh, if I get her name wrong, I'm sorry. But... Um, uh, This that era. So he saw he saw the most vibrant, lively party scene in the world. 
uh, and he said uh, of this time, I was out every night going uh, going at four in the morning to NASA, seeing Junior Vasquez at the Sound Factory. I remember the energy, seeing these drag queens. I wanted to move to New York. Do He's we, just like yeah, into I it. Mean, that's, Do we, that's such a scene. Yeah. Do we know now? Is 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 part of his interest in this early on? Like a, a, like a chemical interest or I'll is get he into just that. you're get getting into, into it? Okay, yep. cool. I will get into that. Uh, but here, here he is talking about uh, clubbing around this time. Turning 17 or 18, uh, we discovered, you know, the ability to to go in, in, into clubs and, 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 and went into some raves and and, and discovered a, a, a very um, energetic uh, a movement uh, compared to... Uh, the very uh, stiff uh, uh, rock audiences that 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 at the time where we we loved a lot of bands and we were going to a lot of shows, but uh, it, it seems that uh, everybody was so afraid to move in the audience that uh, we felt there was really a, a, a great um, energy uh, in 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 the clubs and in the the, the this this music um, uh, where people were dancing and appreciating music. Yeah, I mean. That that's my experience exactly with discovering this music is I was this like little scene kid with tight pants on who like it was cool to stand there motionless at some fucking emo show. Shoegaze is called shoegaze because the, you're the, looking the, at your the, shoes. Yeah, they like <laughs> b- the British media melody maker, I think, coined the term as well. Hmm. It was just like these people just sit there and stare at their shoes while they play. Yeah. And like, I can, I, I, I relate to that very much as well. And, and just like them discovering the rave scene, me doing it too. is like, Oh, I, you, it can be fun to go. Like shows are supposed to be fun. You're supposed to go nuts. You're supposed to be crazy. I, I absolutely relate to that energy of going to a, my first rave and being like, look at these bodies moving. <laughs> I, I don't know. I grew up in a, a lot of, punk scenes where there was a lot of kinetic energy to the crowd. Everyone's pushing and climbing and jumping off the stage and stuff. It was a lot of fun, but it was as soon as I started raving, which was like, I don't know, probably around the same age, like 16, 17, 18 was when I got burnt out on that kind of music and got into dance stuff. Like the change from the kinetic energy of pushing to the kinetic energy of just kind of like grooving was just an incredible if minute difference, I was like, Oh, this is a, a much more fun way to experience music <laughs> yeah. in motion, you know? Absolutely. I love being in motion. Uh, <laughs> around this, around. <laughs> around this time, Tomas dabbled in ecstasy only briefly. He tried the drug a handful of times through 93 and 94. It should really surprise nobody. He's no. hanging out in the French rave scene in the early nineties. Of course he's doing, ecstasy uh they really discussed their use of uh, drugs publicly but tomas did say i did ecstasy for one year from early 1993 to 1994 the problem was that i was like uh, uh the problem was that i was liking any music i'd hear any crap <laughs> <laughs> i'd have no critical judgment the last time i did ecstasy was the day kurt cobain died we were at a party in glasgow when i heard they were uh, then we were going to an after party and I almost got hit by a truck. Um, we don't know anything else about this near death experience. That's all we know. Yeah. We do know that Gimon was rolling with him at the time. This is in that night was the first and only time Gimon ever tried ecstasy. That makes sense. I have 
always behaved perfectly legally my entire life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've never done anything incorrect or outside of the law. Right. But I, I when I began raving, uh, like I have never, outside, you know, I've never found myself shoeless in a in a fountain outside a hotel in Miami. Right. I've never, no, I've never I've done never, anything like I that. I don't, I don't. I, if I'm sweating in a warehouse, it's from it's naturally. But it's from um, cru- it's from doing crunches it's in from the bathroom. Doing crunches. <laughs> uh, it's from doing push-ups and stuff in the bathroom. Yeah. But <laughs> just getting being, my pump that on. That being said, uh, when I started raving, like coming off of, I was like in straight edge bands in high school. When I was introduced to electronic music and started going to raves, I was at, like, I'm not like. I didn't drink a beer. I didn't smoke a cigarette. I was just at the rave, very sober for a few years at the beginning yeah. there, and I just, I just loved it. Yeah, like, it's great. The, the energy in that room is magic. Sober raving is underrated. It can be very fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's whole communities dedicated, you know, uh, like festival culture and stuff. They like they all have groups of of sober ravers and stuff, and I celebrate those people. Uh, raving is for everybody, and it should yeah. be. Absolutely. Uh, in the documentary Daft Punk Unchained, a friend of the fellas said at the time Tomas did not like E because he it um, he felt like it made him lose control of his faculties. And of course, one of Tomas's most well known traits is that he hates losing control. He likes nothing. Uh, he, he he likes nothing more than having control of the situation. He probably hates that song by Missy Elliott. Music make you lose control. Yeah, because his music. He wants to be in control of the music. Yeah. If music make you he lose control, then music he make, make he, music make he lose control. <laughs> yeah, if music make he lose control, then he doesn't have control of the music anymore. Right. Um, that year, music make he lose control. <laughs> Ooh, now we're talking. Uh, 94 that year he receives $1500 for his birthday. He uses all of it <laughs> to buy I know, right? Where did he get $1500? He is rich. We're zooming past that fact. We we a little bit of money. We heard Let's earlier say. he's rich. They both grew up very comfortably. Yes. They're both they're both, you know, High, like ritzy Parisian apartment growing up. His dad up. has disco money. That's powder money. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's his real dad's money. got powder money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's, he just gets a $1,500 check for his birthday. He uses all of it to buy synths, samplers, and he makes himself a, a, a beat lab in his bedroom. Uh, less than a year later, later, they've got a demo tape in hand and they're desperate to try to get it heard. They're going to parties. They want people to hear it. The tape consists of two songs, The New Wave, a blaring dance anthem that would eventually be mixed into to the homework era track alive. Let's hear a little bit of that. Let's, Let's screw it. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's techno. That's... Again, it's 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 reverby. It's it's oh, yeah. reverby for sure. Oh this yeah. Is, this is like the Detroit sound. Yeah. yeah. It, this it is, is. This That's is warehouse sound. Right? That's right. Yeah. That is warehouse music for Sure. That's reverby pre being in um, the walls love, of a giant warehouse. Yes. I love that. Mu- I love that song. Um, but if you were, we'll, we will hear a live next week. Uh, the the track from homework, and uh, it is so fun to listen to those back to back because uh, I I love the new wave, but it is absolutely a first draft, and you can hear them figuring it out. Mm-hmm. In between that and what what it becomes with the live you can hear them figuring it out and it's very cool so we'll we'll hear a live next week uh the b-side off this is uh assault and it is absolutely a ripper let's hear some acid house boys yeah yeah that oh yeah 
Yeah. That is rave music from the 90s. Uh, we are all uh, bobbing our head in here right now. It's fast. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's fast. I like that noise. I I'd love that noise. I'd listen to that noise. So uh, we mentioned at the top of the show that, um, you know, uh, we're, I'm introducing Darren to dance music. He's getting more heavily into it. I've been talking and thinking of and listening to Daft Punk more in the last five, six months than I like. They're my favorite band, but I just because we're sh- like getting Darren into it. I've been thinking about Daft Punk a lot more in this little time frame. In in January, I bought this on vinyl off discogs just like it would be cool to have daft punk's first recorded music and it was 15 dollars, and i'm so happy i did because now like now it's just it's not even that it's crazy expensive on discogs it's gone from discogs yeah Yeah, that's insane that's awesome yeah uh so famed dj richie houghton uh he get uh, the the boys get (laughs) the tape into richie houghton's hands in 94 which i don't like uh, they're hanging out around the rave scene and, and and tooling around and maybe doing some DJing here and there, but I don't I don't know how they just like can walk up to Richie Hahn and get him a tape. They're they incredibly do. connected. If they yeah, if yeah. Darwin was reviewed by Melody Maker yeah. and they have access to Richie Hahn. I mean, all you need um, is he is Really, you know, you need the right place, the right thing, the right time, the right uh, the right connection and you i mean i don't know it's another one of those things that how did it happen i would love to know but again we get daft punk because yeah. of it so he Absolutely. he says no <laughs> so <laughs> we don't get that no, because we do I'm not sorry. we do not i'm sorry I, I preempted where that was going i apologize <laughs> richie houghton says no thank you <laughs> which whatever who, i mean you know. the music the music we're listening to is good it's but not richie you houghton. can't hear that it's daft punk yet that, no. that is true too right this is this is warehouse techno in a very cool way yeah daft punk and it's also not, not like richie sound. houghton music no either. it's not uh, i get it yeah uh so <laughs> at a rave in euro disney uh, which I don't, I, I doubt that they still do that. But there's fucking, no way they're raving in there's the no, Euro Disney there's in Paris. No way that Par- Disney I've seen Paris. Rugrats in Paris a bunch of times, and they there's hardly do not any there's the hardly any partying. Part. There's hardly any partying in Rugrats Euro in Paris. Reptar world or wherever they go to in that movie. <laughs> uh, so uh, September '93, they go to Euro Disney, a, a rave in Disney Paris. And Tomas and Guimon successfully get their tape in the hands of Glasgow-based dance duo Slam, uh, who is Slam rocks. Yeah, Slam's awesome. They're I, at this I point spend a lot of Slam when I'm hanging around. Uh, at, at this point in their career, they're riding high off the track "Positive Education," uh, which is a great track. Uh, go look up Slam if you guys aren't familiar. Um, and they uh, had founded a record label called Soma Records off the success of the, the band Slam. So in Daft Punk Unchained, the BBC documentary, Stuart McMillan remembers Guy Manuel blushing as he introduced themselves to Slam. They were these two super quiet guys. And then we played their track and it was this blaring sound, McMillan says, which we just heard. It is like, yeah, yeah. Too, like, so, uh, uh, this website Glasgow Live this week uh, reached out to the Slam guys um, just to talk about Daft Punk. 
uh, and they they said some really cool stuff. McMillan said um, they were two they were two lovely guys, just quite reserved, very laid back, and a bit shy even. But when we heard their demo tape for the first time, we were blown away. We couldn't believe that noise was coming from these two quiet wee guys. <laughs> he's Scottish, <laughs> so he's like these wee, wee lads. Guys. Wee, lads. Yeah. wee lads, these guys. Uh, this this article included a a picture. This dude, Stuart McMillan, has the tape that Tomas Aguiman handed him. He still has it. That's, that's wild. That is the number. That's got to be like the most interesting, coolest piece of Daft Punk memorabilia anywhere in the world. Just the the like single piece of history that got them their first record deal. I knew. So I knew this. Their their early stuff came out on Soma Records. Yeah. And I really like Slam. Positive Education is one of my favorite dance tracks of all Great time. Great track. Had no idea until you said that that the Slam same. was Soma Records. Slam is Soma Records. I had Records. no idea. That's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, they go on. He. This is from the, the Glasgow Live article, too. Stu, uh, Stuart McMillan says, The first Daft Punk material doesn't sound like the stuff of their later years. Yeah. Uh, even though you could hear that they were influenced by disco on homework. The first EP we got was pretty much industrial techno. Uh, at that time, you had no idea that music could lead... Um, uh, that that music could lead to them being the Grammy award-winning uh, thing that it would become. It's, Which, yeah. It is crazy to hear that in the context of, like, in the last day or two listening to, to Random Access Memories again. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it, is, it is insane to, you know, to, to think that that's the, the, the first thing. Yeah, man. Uh, it's fascinating to me because, like, I don't know, you hear the Belleville Three, the Detroit Techno guys, say that they were very interested in things like craft work yeah. because Detroit was such a difficult and miserable place to live at that yeah. time. And craft work was so clean and futuristic and space age. And they were obsessed with that. And they took craft work and made this industrial noise <laughs> yeah. out of it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then Daft Punk gets interested in this industrial noise, but then they're like, Shaped by the disco around yeah. them, it's, yeah, it's a really incredible back and forth. It and really then, is. and then they turn around after homework, and they learn everything that this industrial noise taught them, and they they add the shimmer and shine of disco to it. Yeah, guys, I fucking love this band. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, some of the Darlin stuff has some yeah. some post discovery energy to it, some yeah. human after all energy to it. Yeah. In the distortion and stuff. So Slam, uh, they show this tape to their partner at Soma, this guy named Dave Clark. They agree to release it on vinyl. Uh, and this two, the two-track tra- tape is pressed like as is. They don't change anything. Um, they don't remix the songs at all. They just they put it out as is. It's a tiny label in Glasgow, and the New Wave sold 15,000 copies. Oh, my God. Yeah, incredible. So Clark, uh, he is reflecting on Daft Punk to Glasgow Live this week. He goes, it is crazy that these guys who always crashed on our sofas and just came around Glasgow with us whenever we uh, were uh, – came around Glasgow with us uh, whenever they were over ended up dressed in robot suits with Stevie Wonder and Niles Rogers backing them up. Absolutely. Again, you know, like – um, these these two little dweebs made it. <laughs> no one who has ever crashed on my couch has ever hung out with Stevie Wonder, as far as I know. As far as I know, nobody that's ever crashed on my couch has even uh, put on a robot helmet. 
let alone I can't it. speak to that for me but for you perhaps I am I'm, I'm 100% positive that nobody that has ever slept on a couch that I own made a song with Nile Rodgers I can uh, guarantee that I'm less discerning about who sleeps on my couch but yeah, I think that's probably true for me as well <laughs> uh, in a French TV interview from this era Tomas says we have received faxes from Denmark Sweden Spain Japan New York although we've only sold 15,000 copies it shows that there is a demand for this type of music uh, that we're making from around the world. Um, so yeah, like these dudes, uh, they have at this point, they have not played a show outside of France yet. And already, uh, um, they're, they're making a mark like, I, I, I pre internet with a, a vinyl that is pressed 15,000 times. I, I honestly don't know how Soma or anybody would have gotten it out to Japan at this point, but, but there's already demand for Daft Punk after they have two songs on vinyl. Especially the logistics of like a 12 inch single that's usually like yeah. almost white. That's that's really yeah. something to behold. Yeah. They're, so this, this interview is on YouTube and they're standing at a, uh, they're standing at one of those like long skinny bar tables, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Tomas has got his elbows on it and Guimon is in, is in a, a jacket and he's staring straight at the floor with his bangs covering his face, uh, as shy as he ever will be. <laughs> and, and Tomas is just like earnestly, like, how do how do these people know that we exist? He's yeah. like, it's great. Yeah. Um, so although Tom, Tomas and Guimon, uh, wanted to do things their way. Tomas's father, Daniel, was a huge help in creating the vision uh, for the boys uh, to take the world by storm. As pointed out in Daft Punk Unchained, Daniel Vadgard produced dance music in France with English lyrics uh, aimed at a worldwide audience. That would be Daft Punk's goal, too. Uh, and we're going to get in, in more into Daniel Vanguard's influence uh, and what he possibly could have given the boys uh, early on. Um next week because uh, i think i think that there's i think it's awesome that you know they were they they used a resource at their disposal their disposal somebody that like went through it and knew things that uh new things about the industry and they use that to it's the choice their, to do english language that is yeah right that i i think about a lot with this band yeah because they could so very very easily be lost in the ether yeah and not but then also like uh, we have French, we have like thick French accents. Is there any way to like sing? Yeah, right. Can let's do this robot boy. They do. They add yeah. the vocoder, and it not only uh gives them an interesting sound, but friggin' auto tune as is now just the industry standard, and that is that is because of Daft Punk. Yeah, absolutely. I also I don't know. It feels like that's. I would not have gotten into craft work if they did not have so much computerized yeah. English language voice stuff. Yeah, I know absolutely. that's a very, I don't know, small worldview because I'm an American guy, but like that is that is such a smart marketing choice. I mean, it's, it's, it's very easy to latch onto simple, direct, robotic statements yeah. that, are, that are big <laughs> around the world. Robot rock, yeah. like I just 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 as a robot rock. Yeah, I mean, like it's yeah. just. I mean, it's not hard to get behind, you know, that chant almost uh, in any yeah. of them. You know, I know it's not a, a chant, but for lack of, of, of a better yeah. uh, comparison, it, it, it is. It, it's it's it well, keeps... I mean, yeah, I mean the the repetitive the repetitive repetitiveness of their music is part of the appeal, and I understand people that don't get it. 
uh, 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 the uh, uh, around the world is said in that song 144 times yeah. in six minutes. Uh, I having fallen into house music. I can tell the difference between every single time. Yeah, me too. too. There are all, there yeah. are small differences in each yeah. delivery. So and I like, can hear all. Some of them's them. like around the world. Some of them's like around the world. Some of the world. And I know and that I like know. a lot of fans probably can't, but, but I can. as a super fan, I yeah. can hear every single time. I used to. I. <laughs> Grow, like we talked about I, my, like, I'll list days. my favorites top to bottom <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite one is the 136 time he yeah, says it yeah that's the big one that's the big everybody knows that's the big one yeah that's like one of the and then that's the like rest one of the main is the ones. Yeah. yeah 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 that's like one of the main ones um uh no I like I was very snobby and pretentious about music for you know in my late teens early 20s and then I got into house music and guess what folks you like what you like and it's okay if other folks don't like it, uh, but celebrate what you like. I, I cannot in good faith uh, be snobby about music when my favorite thing is house music because I totally understand if this is, isn't for other folks, but this music is brilliant. So, uh, yeah. Music's supposed to be fun. Music's music supposed to be fun. allowed to be fun. Music you don't is have supposed, to be yeah. miserable while you make music. You, yeah. Music doesn't have to be miserable. It doesn't have to make you sad. Daft Punk, like, like I said, Daft Punk taught me that music can is supposed to make you feel good. And it's this shit to. makes me feel good. Uh, the few people who saw Daft Punk set up during this time recall a mess of tangled wires and stacks of audio equipment piled in Tomas's childhood bedroom. The two were dabbling in clubs, making a name for themselves around the world. The Midwest rave scene in the U.S. got their first taste of Daft Punk in 1995 when Defunk was featured on Terry Mullen's New School Fusion Volume 2 mixtape. It immediately made a splash in the hard drive techno scene around the area. Mullen sold 10,000 copies of this mixtape. 10,000 copies of his mixtape? Mixtape. That is and he, wild. He had, he had finished. He had, wild. So this dude finished his mixtape, uh, and it was like an influential. He's an influential dude around the area. It's an influential tape. Uh, the first, the His first uh, volume sold 6,000 copies. He finished his second volume, and then he got his hands on Defunct, and he rushed to get it onto the tape before they produced it. The thing uh, sold, and uh, and for a long time, uh, it was just referred to as uh, as that Terry song because they didn't nobody even knew yet. Just like people That's were like LimeWire, yeah, <laughs> pre LimeWire, yeah. It was just like this dude was selling cassette tapes. He sold fucking ten thousand of them, and people were like, "That Terry, that Terry, Terry Mullen song, that rips. That's the new shit." Uh, and so, uh, uh, before you know, before Daft Punk even has a record out, there these French guys are are getting a name for themselves. People are listening to Defunct in in like uh, Wisconsin, which is important because uh, the event planners at Even Further, uh, which is like a rural festival out in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, uh, they were like, "We got to get these guys here," and that is they agreed this was the first time 1996 is the first time daft punk comes to america uh they play it even further uh it's a legendary show we've we've watched this we've watched, we've this. watched, watched this, this one a lot. one of my favorite uh, experiences of 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 
my education on Daft Punk is watching the tall dude right behind, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. right behind Tomas, just yeah. looking a little bit he confused. He looks exactly like Ian Mackay from yeah. Fugazi, yeah. the bald guy. Yeah, yeah. and he, he he's looking confused, like what is going on? And, because it does not start like like it, wait, no. this that does not start sounding like music. But when Tomas finds it, he does not lose it. Uh, and you watch this dude look confused. What is this? And then all of a sudden, he gets a little smirk, and that is uh, that. That is a face that, that that I can see him having a feeling that I felt, and I know Absolutely. you both have felt. They're, they're at a festival that is all like loud, distorted acid techno, and they play a different kind yeah. of acid techno that changes well, everyone's yeah. view yeah. of the yeah. genre of music. Um, it's so unbelievable. There's, there's like, like Darren said, there's YouTube uh, uh, clips of this show. You should absolutely go absolutely. check it out if you've never seen it. 10 out of it's 10, just, hard recommend. It's just uh, Tomas, the, the camera's mainly focused on Tomas during this. He's lording over the decks as a crowd of blitzed out lunatics uh, vibe to some of the most psychotic acid house beats I've ever heard. Yeah, uh, It's absolutely worth it. It's our wheelhouse yeah. for sure. Oh, all those words you just said. <laughs> that's, that's all that's my shit. Back then, uh, the music was the focus of the rave scene. There was no light show, no big production budgets, no stage even. The boys are bent over a folding table in a muddy field, hoping the setup doesn't get too wet as a crowd squeezed around them, bumping into their backs uh, as they recreate their songs from scratch. It's truly wild to watch. Uh, I have a lot more about this show and about Daft Punk's setup, uh, live setup from around this period. We are going to save all of that for the Alive 97 episode. Yes. Check back in a couple of weeks. We're gonna go over that that album, but we're also just gonna talk about what it was, what Daft Punk Live looked like back then, and and get into get into all of that. So, check back for that app. Amen. Uh, everywhere the boys went, people uh, understood that Daft Punk was gonna be something special. They hadn't even released an album yet. Daft Punk had been uh, just an uh, an active group for just uh, just a couple of years. But the underground rave scene uh, was already understanding that the world wanted to hear more from them. But Daft Punk wasn't approving, uh, pursuing approval. They were pursuing dominance. And the only way that was possible was to do it exactly their way. Next week, we dive into homework, folks. Homework. So what, what is uh, pre-homework? That's class, right? Yeah, yeah. Pre-homework is class. We were class. in school. This, yeah, you guys were in school today. Wow. We learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this band. Um, so next week, we're going to have uh, another little uh, history report about what the fellas were up to leading up to um, homework being released. We'll get into them leaving Soma for Virgin. We'll get into them producing that record uh, and the explosion that happens afterwards, followed by uh, a track-by-track um, exploration of the record. Uh, so I would love if uh, people listening to this were consuming the same stuff we were. So we're gonna we're going to be diving into homework. That's probably the only thing I'm gonna listen to all week. Uh, uh, we're gonna be diving into that record. We're gonna come back next week excited to talk about it. Uh, and then the week after that, we're gonna talk about Daft. So we, we're not gonna talk about the videos at all next week, which is a an huge and important part about why homework made such a splash internationally. But uh, we're going to leave the videos for another uh, episode um, uh, and just talk about homework and uh, the music and what was going on with the boys around that time. 
Amazing. Yeah. So, uh, listeners out there, if if you've got uh, a, cu- a couple things, a couple things we want you guys to do. We want you to subscribe, obviously, a to the homework channel. homework for you. A uh, little homework for you. We want you to subscribe to the channel and check us out. Uh, you know, we're just getting started. We're, we're a new show. We're putting a, a ton of work because we want to do this with you guys. A couple ways you can participate in that, uh, if you want. Uh, we have uh, set up an email address uh, for anybody who's got, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a personal uh, Daft Punk store or you know an obscure fact something you want to add on to something we've talked about or even you want to correct us if we made a mistake that's totally possible Here's, too I I am but one man <laughs> re- reading and watching shit about my favorite band I know I'm gonna get stuff wrong I know I'm gonna miss stuff and I want to hear about it I want to know as much about these a- fellas man. as I can so if you're out there and you're like wait a minute they missed this or what I know that that's wrong I want to hear about it he, yeah. uh, hit me up at Info at alive twenty one uh, info at alive twenty twenty one dot com, and and let me know if I miss something or if there is something that you want to correct or some interesting fact that you'd want to add to it. We'll read those out on the show. Um, but yeah, I, I want to engage with people. I want I want other folks that know a lot about these people and love these th- this band as much as I do oh, yeah. to to help me uh, make this uh, as comprehensive as we can. So. Now, I, I, on the other hand, all of, <laughs> all, of, all of my mistakes were on purpose and they were a test. Yeah. So uh, if you notice them and are passing the test, please send us an email to info to live 2021 to let us know that you caught the mistakes I left in there on purpose yeah. uh, and let us know you're a super and fan. That you're, and so just so we know that you're as smart as them. Yeah. Uh, we, we <laughs> so, so one more time, that is info at alive2021.com. Feel free to send us uh, prefer constructive things yeah. but uh, you know go, like, go crazy like us, we're on all the socials we're uh, on Facebook we're on Instagram we uh, keep uh, we keep a very active uh, Instagram story we uh, will let you guys know what we're doing uh, you know the website alive2021.com if you like Daft Punk post about us tell people about us uh, because I think we're doing a cool thing here and I hope you like it too uh, I hope you like listening to three friends talk about something they really enjoy instead of like Shitting on something that they didn't actually enjoy, which just seems to be what most podcasts are. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, I think with That's that, uh, we will see you oh, next. We're all Ooh. we're all over the internet too. It, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at dr good tweets, doctor good tweets. You can follow me at uh, Devin Rosni. That's D E V I N R O S N I on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, then that's it. It's not my Gmail. It's not my Gmail, so don't email me there. Uh, you can, uh, and, and you can get me. I'm, I'm just at the the most Darren is my handle on just about everything. Uh, I also I stream. I stream daily. Uh, if you're interested in seeing or talking to me, uh, I live stream uh, some some video game content uh, most days of the week. Uh, feel free to check me out over there. Uh, and uh, I think. Uh, I think with that, uh, the, the the outro here is uh, we'll see Folks, you every Friday. I hope. Folks are celebrating around the world. Around the world. And if enough people like the podcast, the they'll get back together. And yeah, if enough people like the podcast, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't that be crazy if, <laughs> I don't know, if uh, Guiana Tomas found out that a podcast about them was getting really uh, popular and, and they decided they to get back together? together. And, became a, and they flew out <laughs> to Detroit and they hung out with us and became our best friends. It's not like they're our best friends now. Yeah, it's and not like let I'm uh, sing on the album. The, the takeaway I, here, I, folks. I might, I might not, I, it's not like I've been falling asleep thinking yeah, no, about I'm what 2027, I'm in the pyramid with them and they let me And I'm like sitting on top of the pyramid. And they let me. 
when I'm around the world now. And with that, we will see you next week. Hello, everyone. Alive 2021 is a member of the Planet Ant Podcast Network and was created by Andy Reid, developed by Andy Reid, Devin Rosni, and Darren Shelton, with technical production by Darren Shelton. For more information, please visit Alive2021.com.